Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. And so today I'm actually going to be talking about and preaching about what does love look like. Uh, And it's a continued theme in our church, these narratives of love. Uh, If you've been a part of this community for any amount of time, you've seen and or heard that uh, the tenets of love Jesus, love people. Uh, These aren't new things. I'm not necessarily going to camp and preach there. And and you can see them in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Uh, And it goes on to talk about you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, and also that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So foundationally in this community and in our Christian walk, you've got a lot of things coming your way, a lot of input, especially now. There's a lot of input on what our lives should look like, sound like, whether it be political input, whether it be psychological input or therapy input, uh, whether it be athletic input. There's a lot of input to our lives on how our attitude should be, on what our uh, mindset should be, on what our spirit should be. There's a lot of input into your life, including vocational ones, employers and or corporations telling you how you should act, feel, live, breathe, function, when to rest, not rest, all those things. So there's a lot of input, so it can be incredibly, incredibly complex if you look at all the input of your life and you're trying to sort it through. So I want to introduce this very simple, uh, it's going to feel narrow, but it's a very simple doorway that all things in our life should be yielded to this banner of love. Uh, So whether it be um, in terms of psychology, uh, whether it be gift measurements, temperament measurements, uh, love language uh, measurements, whether it be workplace things, all of these things should fit under the banner of love. The Bible says God is love, and so we understand love not to be the notion of, you know, Valentine's Day romantic sentiment, sentiment, sentimentalism, uh, but we understand love to be something much more profound than romantic notions. Uh, and the love we're talking about is the love of God and the love that is supposed to be coming through us for ourselves. First, love your neighbor as yourself and for others. And so in this complex life, right, we have a lot of things coming our way. Uh, you, you talk about psychology terms like boundaries or codependency. And then as I was researching it, there's the counterdependency. Uh, and I want to actually just take a moment to focus on these two things because we're going to be talking about what love looks like, but we're going to try and come from and connect our minds and our spirits to all of the things that we are experiencing in our personal walk that aren't biblical or aren't spiritual. And you really got to ask yourself, the things that you're trying to establish in idea in your life, are they of God? And so there's your interpretation that's extremely important. There's what the author is trying to say. And there's a lot of attempts from a lot of people to author our life. But the verse McKenna read so well and so accurately, which is that uh, God is the author and the shaper of our faith. So there's this authorship of God that we, we subscribe to. And it is exclusive, or it is singular, or it is supposed to be the dominating kingship of our life. Uh, So when you're talking about anything else coming in, whether it be a psychology idea or a business idea, you've got to bring it into submission to God. 
And, and this is uh, one of those interesting things. It's like, okay, can anybody teach me that isn't a Christian or that isn't a preacher or a teacher of the word? Are there business principles I can learn? Are there psychological principles or therapy ones? Yes. And how to do it, we're going to talk about today. So if you take a look at codependency and counterdependency, which are the, uh, essentially the two uh, extremes of this thing, uh, you, I'm going to read you a couple of things, the definition first. Uh, and then I'm going to get to where we're at in Scripture on this, which will be in Galatians 5. And so you can see codependency is a psychological condition or relationship in which a person is manifesting low self-esteem and a strong desire for approval and has an unhealthy attachment to another often controlling or manipulative person. Uh, so you might not, like if I asked for a census on this and I did a little bit of a survey, you might not want to raise your hand for this, but and I won't ask for it, but you might observe codependent patterns in your life. Uh, and you might see those, and you might recognize those. They are important to recognize. If you have a fear of rejection, and you have a need for others' approval, this is something that God wants to focus on with you. Because anything that determines your behavior or shape that isn't yielded to God is a problem in your becoming like God. Okay, so there's God who's supposed to be the author of our life in totality, from zero to 100%. And anything that authors you or I, not in the image of God, that becomes a place of bondage and a problematic place in relationship with God. So there's God and you, and he's shaping your life. Can others help on that process? Can others contribute to it? Absolutely. The question to ask, is it in alignment with God? Alignment being, is it yielded to? Is it in line with? Is it geographically underneath the banner of heaven and the banner of God? So I've had people teach me things that wasn't necessarily directly a scripture, but it was scriptural in its essence. Does this make sense? So the wisdom, the clarity, the business skill sets and professions, you can see business things, methodologies that are manipulative, that are abusive, but that can actually work in business. And so those would be the things you would actually reject if you want to have a good relationship with God. And you would actually adopt the principles of business uh, that, yes, are successful, but are, are also in the character of God. You guys tracking with me? Okay, great. So then you decline deception, even if it's convenient to a sale, because it's not in the character of God. So in all of these principles, no matter what mountain of influence, business, entertainment, arts, or whatever you may be in, you've got to ask yourself the question, is what you are learning and becoming of God? You guys with that? You guys into this? A little happy dance there. Okay, so if we're going back to codependency, why are we talking about this? Uh, and I actually wanted to give 10 signs you might be codependent. These things kind of help for me. Uh, so I, I found this, and I looked it up, and I thought it was really interesting. Number one is you fear rocking the boat and fear upsetting others. Uh, so this is 10 signs you might be codependent. Number two is you have a hard time thinking about your needs in a relationship. Uh, number three is your days are full of worrying about others. Uh, number four is you tend to obsess about pleasing others or having others be pleased with you. Uh, number five is you easily lose yourself in other people's plights, dramas, needs, problems, or needs. Oh, is anybody feeling like this is their autobiography? Um, so what's interesting is that, uh, what's funny is that this is absolutely not describing me. But 
I will read to you counter-dependency, and then my wife might smile. Uh, so counter-dependence is the extreme opposite of dependence. It refers to the fear of depending on other people. If you are counter-dependent, you will go to great lengths to avoid asking for help. You may have a great fear of feeling or appearing to feel in need. Uh, counter-dependency looks like, uh, it, okay, well, one, you has a strong need to be right, even at the cost of the relationship. Uh, another sign of it could be extremely self-reliant and avoids needing, I like reading these things because people start laughing when they're like, oh, <laughs> Uh, extremely self-reliant, avoids needing others, difficulty feeling and being close with others, avoids own feelings, and has difficulty connecting to others' feelings, expects perfection in others and self, which often leads to the shame or reason to withdraw from others, fears being controlled, influenced by others, the consequences of trusting and loving others. Isn't this exciting to read? Okay, so why are we going there? Well, because... In this, in this request to have you love people, you can, based on your history and upbringing, think that loving someone is to enter into a codependent relationship. You think it means that you never pay attention to your own needs and self-care, and that you never actually focus on your health, you never actually focus on your needs. And so, based on your personality or upbringing... Uh, you may actually think that when I ask you to love somebody, it means that you actually allow yourself to be abused by someone else. See, I don't know what your history or what your personality says love looks like, but I do know that even your perspective of love needs to come unto a submission of God. So love looks like something indeed in God, right? And it may not look like your behavior, but it may not look like you giving more or sacrificing more. But actually what it may look like for you is that having a greater understanding of love in your life means that you learn to care for yourself more. And this is the interesting thing about how the pendulum can swing from one side to the next side based on our experiences. And we, we start to go to these places where we're like, okay, well, I don't really know how to do this thing where I still care for others, so I'm going to cut the whole thing off. I'm going to isolate myself and I'm going to put myself into a counter-dependent or an independent place. Uh, and this oftentimes will come from an exposure uh, of hurt in community or relationship. People often swing from one place of being highly connected, highly immersed in community. They experience a tremendous amount of pain in those relationships or community, and then they cut all connections off, and they isolate themselves to the chamber of nobody else around. Uh, and so this can swing you from being codependent to being incredibly counterdependent. Uh, and in all of these things, love looks like something. It doesn't look like being independent, and it doesn't look like being codependent. Uh, so when you look at the relationship with Jesus, we've got to ask ourselves, what does love look like, and who is defining that love expression in my life? Is it psychology? Is it therapy? Is it my vocation or my job or my workplace? Is it stress that's defining it? Is it deception that's defining my expressions in relationships with people. So you and I, we've really got to take a close look at this thing and go, okay, what is authoring my expression? What is authoring my relationships? How I'm doing them? Where did I get it from? Why am I still doing it? Why am I doing it even when I know it's not the right thing to do and it causes damage? So we really begin to ask ourselves this question of, okay, how do I do relationship well? How do I love people well? 
Uh, some version of that has to be out there that is good. Who's got it? Who's teaching me it? And are they manipulating me or controlling me for their own gain or benefit? All of these things start to come to our minds. At one point, we gave the church or priest uh, exclusive and total authorship of our everything. And then we began to take that away because of different places of abuse or human failure. Uh, and so, you know, it was really never supposed to be that we gave the fullness of our life to be authored by a pastor or any other human. Uh, so the, the fullness of our life is supposed to be authored by God. And so human beings are supposed to be a complement, are supposed to be in alignment, are supposed to speak truths and insights and revelations that will lead us to grow in our God-love expression. Okay, so let's get into the word on this thing so we can really see what this looks like because it can get complicated. And you can say to yourself, like, gee whiz, I'm, I'm codependent. I don't want to be codependent. Or gee whiz, I'm counterdependent. I'm super independent guy, and I don't want to be independent like that. I can see it cuts me off from connections and love and all these things. And so you can start to try and aim to be better by not being what you are that's already broken. But Proverbs says it real well. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So you and I don't become like God by trying not to be sin. So we don't become whole by trying not to be partial. We don't become healed by trying not to be broken. So our effort is actually not driven by uh, sin, not driven by the devil. It's actually driven by the face of God, the image of God, which we're being transformed into. So we're propelled by life. We're propelled by it. So for a small example, if you have no peace in your life, you're not going to get peace by trying not to be anxious. You guys tracking with me right now? So you pursue the peace of God because that's the image of God that you are trying to have be in your life and become who you are. And so you'll become aware of the vices, the bondage, and the sin in your life. And so you'll be like, oh, I have no peace because I fear rejection. Or I have no peace because I fear this out of the other. And so in your journey to trying to understand how to become like the love of God, you're going to address a lot of things. You're going to uproot a lot of things. You're going to see a lot of chains broken, and you're going to experience a lot of freedom. But the key here is, how are you doing this? What is your approach to this pursuit of freedom? Galatians 5, 6, we're going to start to kick us off to this thing. And in Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So circumcision and uncircumcision was a very hot topic of following the law in the New Testament after Jesus. It was a big deal. You know, so even in this new covenant model, some folks are trying to get folks to be circumcised so that they could actually be doing this thing right. Long story short, it, it's a really weird topic and subject, but it's all about the law, right? And trying to get people to do specific things for them to actually achieve godliness and righteousness. So actually, the confrontation happening here is that, no, 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 no. It's not through those methodologies that you get to that place, but it's through, it's only faith working through love. Okay, here's something really interesting it just introduced. And I love to solve puzzles, right? So in my life, I'm like, okay, how do I grow in faith? Okay, how do I become like God? How do I stop be being like myself and become like God, right? 
And so you get this in your head, and you're like, okay, I'm codependent, or I'm, I'm very independent. How do I act like God? Because God wasn't standing up in heaven being, like, super independent from us and being like, oh, I'm not going to send my son. You do you, I do me. Because, in fact, God sacrificed his son for us so that we can have relationship with him. So if God acted extremely independent of us, we would be still in trouble. We would be under a curse, and we'd be incredible, and we'd have an incredibly problematic place. So I know that God's not independent of me. I know that God makes efforts towards me. I know that God sacrifices for me. I know that God loves me, thus he sent his son to die for me, John 3, 16. So I know that I can't just be independent and isolated and live my life on an island, even though sometimes I fantasize about living my life on an island. Does anybody else fantasize about just what if it was just me and my wife and then that's it? You know what I mean? And we just drive off in our sprinter van, maybe do a little climbing, a little skydiving, throw a dirt bike on there, a mountain bike, a surfboard, basically anything that could just be me, you know? And I, I think about these things, but, you know, so when, when my wife walks in the room, she's thinking about everybody else's needs, which is super different than how I think when I, by my human instincts, when I walk in a room, I think different than how she thinks when she walks in a room. So neither one of us in our personalities are like God yet. Does this make sense? So we're learning to become like God, not like I need to be like her and she needs to be like me. No, no, we're becoming like God in our behavior. So I'm not right, she's not right in fullness or in absolution, right? Uh, God is right, period. God is love. Not Samuel is love like God is love, thus wife needs to be like Samuel, right? So we're tracking here, right? We're all becoming like God, not like one another if the other person's more mature or has a strength in the place we have a weakness, and this is important to track because we've got to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. So if we develop an ideology that there is someone else or some other methodology that can create a fix for our life besides God, then we actually take our eyes off of the author and the perfecter of our faith. And there is a problem when we take our eyes off of the author and the perfecter of our faith. And once we set our eyes on something else, then we're fixing our eyes on a different author, on a different perfecter. And whatever you fix your eyes on is going to author you. Whatever you fix your eyes on, you're going to begin to worship. Worship isn't achieved through singing a song that someone else wrote and we put music to it. I can promise you this, like you can sing all these songs every single Sunday and not have a life that worships God. Because a life that worships God holds God in adoration, in awe, in a fixation of you are good and your mercies endure forever. So I can sing that song, you are good, because I'm continually splendidly dis uh, in disbelief even about how good God is. And it's pretty wild. And so I can say, you are good. You are good. I, I can keep going. You are good. Because it doesn't get old because the vastness and the eternity of who God is is ever wonderful and ever putting me in awe of who his nature is. So this faith is working through love. And it's creating a righteousness in me. And we see it in verse 13 if we skip to that. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh 
but through love serve one another. Okay, so now we just get introduced to this place where uh, uh, freedom sounds independent, right? I'm free. I can go wherever I want to go. I could, right? Like I could leave, right? I could just walk out. I'm free. So that means I could turn this mic off. I could walk out the door and I could never come back. I am free to do that. So, but now it's saying, it's introducing a principle in the word that's important to observe. That to a counter-dependent person can sound like codependency. So hang on, hold on, I'm free. Yeah, counter-dependent person in my uh, typical human build would say, oh, that's awesome, I'm free. Yes, there are no strings on me. I can go wherever I want, I could do whatever I want. I am free to leave. I am free to run. I'm free to do whatever I want. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, so now let's introduce something biblically, which is do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, that's problematic. Because if I perceive freedom as no restraints on me being able to be fleshly, then I've got an inappropriate perspective of freedom. We were not freed so that we can live in the flesh. We were freed so we can live in the spirit. And we're talking about the spirit of God. So why don't I live in my flesh and just leave? Well, because the spirit says something different to me. The spirit leads me into a different place. So greater than my desire of the flesh is my yieldedness to the Spirit. The reason why it's important that the Spirit is offering us, the reason why it's important that we're bringing all of these principles and truths yielded to the Spirit of God is because without the Spirit of God in my life, I will take the principles of life that are the most convenient to my flesh, I will use them, and I will decline the rest that aren't convenient to my flesh. See, the great thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit brings truth into your life that isn't convenient to your flesh. That's why Christ's strengths are made perfect in your weakness. His Holy Spirit will start to press on me things that are of him that are not of me and that are actually inconvenient to my fleshly desires. It's super inconvenient at times when the Holy Spirit leads me to be a good husband in ways that aren't fleshly convenient to me. Like there's things that my wife wants me to do sometimes which my flesh has zero interest. Zero. And in fact, it makes me mad. It makes me mad. I'm like, hey, I do me and you guys do you, right? Like that's how this goes, right? And so my flesh is like irritated. I'm like, oh, geez, come on now. Come on now, I'm like doing me right. I'm taking care of all these things. You know, I'm over here like independently crushing. And in my flesh, I'm being vulnerable on this thing on purpose. Like my flesh is like, and then I'm just like, okay, breathe. Okay, Holy Spirit, like I see it, I recognize it. I see it, I recognize that my flesh is actually trying to lead me to be a worse father. And my flesh is leading me to be self-fulfilled, but not others filling. So I'm doing a good job with me. I'm doing a great job with me, a phenomenal job with me. 
but I can neglect the needs of others if I'm not being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might fall on the other end of the spectrum. You might be like, I'm doing great for everyone, and you haven't looked at yourself in like six months. Your arm's like hanging off. Your ankle's broken and you forgot because there was someone hungry, someone naked to clothe. There was a need somewhere. And then you couldn't even rest because of the idea that a need was out there that wasn't being met. There was an unsolved problem for somebody else. And you're like, oh, I don't have time for me. I haven't even figured this thing out for everyone else. The world is broken. Everyone's dying, going to hell. My broken ankle will figure itself off. Just cut the thing off. We'll figure it out. We'll just gimp along and help other people out. So you might fall on the other end of this thing. Your humanity might lead you to be weak and vulnerable, and your flesh might actually disallow you to loving yourself well. To either one of us, falling on either one of these spectrums of extremity, we must decline the flesh path and say yes to the Holy Spirit, which actually fulfills the fullness of Heavenly Father's behavior in our life. Without the Spirit of God leading us, you are only going to be able to express godliness as you are gifted. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, which means you get to keep them without a lifestyle of repentance. The problem with the church becoming allergic to confrontation, allergic to conviction, allergic to repentance, is that you never become like God in the fullness. Because there's certain things in your life that you won't become like God in until you've truly found humility and repentance to say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, I have found sin has dominated me and I am weak. I'm incapable of overcoming it without a leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life. So it says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Okay, so through love, through love serve one another. So it doesn't say through obligation serve one another. It doesn't say through need serve one another. It says through love. So what should define your efforts of serving others? Love. And so you're going to have some work to do on this. Those of us that are codependent in nature and without the Holy Spirit are very codependent. I can't label you, right? but you can identify these patterns exist without God in your life. And so for those of you that land there, you're going to have to sort through what love means. You're going to have to debunk some myths of love. You're going to be like, oh, wait, so I could actually find rest when not everything's solved for everyone else? Because see, I thought it was loving to be anxious when other people were hurting. So a lot of times pastors have to learn this thing in emotional maturity, which is that when others around you are going on a roller coaster or their life is going down in flames, that you can still have peace. But sometimes we see it as more loving that when somebody's in chaos, crisis, deep anxiety and depression, we think it's loving to match those feelings. Oh, you're anxious and depressed? So am I. Because I love you, and so I'm going to be like you. And we're going to do this together. That's not the image of God's love towards us. You see this? Is, so, so God uh, is love. So if he finds somebody that's rooted in bitterness and hatred, he doesn't go, oh, thus I will also be. 
as you are. God doesn't go, okay, I'm going to forfeit my love expression, my identity as love, and I'm going to take on hatred and bitterness as an expression of love? It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. You can love somebody well and stay in your place of peace while they're in anxiety. In fact, a little tip here, your peace is going to be a much greater help to them in anxiety than if you were to forfeit your peace as a sign, some kind of weird sign of I am now loving you better by taking on your anxiety. Does this make sense? So for those of us that find our place in that kind of spectrum of like, I am for everyone else and I neglect self, you've got to repent of some of these ideas that leave you entrenched in bondage to other people's uh, opinions, other people's uh, approval. You've got to repent of these things. They're inside of you. You've got to recognize it and go, oh, that's not good. Oh, my goodness. So, okay, so, wow, I am yielded to man. So I am going to reap the fruit of all of that yieldedness. You know, at some point in this, in Galatians 5, uh, 19, it actually, it actually describes the work of the flesh. So when you are yielded to other people, the fruit of your life is going to be flesh fruit. It's not going to be godliness. It's not going to be fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of your life will be flesh fruit. And you might not understand why a fear of rejection or a need for other people's approval is destructive to your identity, but I'm going to illustrate it to you right now. The fruit of that life will be these things and or others. And now the works of the flesh are evident, and this is Galatians 5.19. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this can sound cutting. This can sound too black and white and very uncomfortable and almost ungracious and unmerciful when it says you won't inherit the kingdom of God. But the reason you can't inherit the kingdom of God is because you're yielded to the kingdom of flesh. You can't inherit something different than what you're yielded to. Whatever you're submitted to, whatever your master is, will be the fruit of your life. Whoa, isn't this fun? To realize? Maybe not. Are you guys super excited about this? I just want to make sure you're still with me. You know what I mean? Like, you could be really thinking and somber about all the things that you're realizing right now, like I am, about my life. But I want to make sure you're still with me because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to correct a path that has us yielded to flesh, our own or others, right? So the counterdependent person, they know how to have their flesh be king. The codependent person knows how to have other person's flesh be king. So anything that's a king in your life that isn't the king of kings, cut off its head. That's what baptism is. Old man down, new man up. What's the new man? It's new creation. It's, it's what God's crafted in you. It's just like him. It's beautiful. So it could sound violent to say, whoa, cut its head off. What does that mean? I'm not talking about cutting off a person's head. I'm saying your yieldedness to this king, this, this flesh king in others or yourself, just put it in the ground. Don't give it life. Don't give it leadership. Take back the crown that it has in your life. So right away you can see, like, these are the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, sweet. Joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, uh, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. My, my desire in freedom to walk out the door and be free and be independent, I've put it on the cross. I've put it on the cross. It doesn't create godliness. It doesn't love my wife like Christ loves the church. It doesn't love my kids with the love of Heavenly Father. So 14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And at 15 it says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I, I wrote this down. I kind of put a note on it. Oh, boundary. <laughs> Sometimes we wonder where like these psychological or counseling therapy terms are in it. But it's literally put boundary on yourself that when you are in the mood to bite on one another and to be real biting with one another, hey, don't bite one another because you're all going to be consumed. Because somebody's going to find a reason to bite you. Trust me, there's plenty of reasons. When I see my kids fighting, I'm like, it makes sense. It just makes so much sense. You've got a great, you've got a great case. I love it. It's really good. You too. Wait, great job of communicating this, guys. You presented both great debates. Now both of you guys apologize. Love one another. Because they both have reason to bite, right? He took my toy, so I punched him in the face, and then I punched them back in the face. Okay, so now you guys have all bit each other a bunch of times. You're all wrong. Okay, so now what we say is this. Verse 16, it goes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Here's what I love about this. Walking by the Spirit isn't prohibitive. It's not a structure. It's movement. It's connection to God. At another point, it says to be in step with the Spirit. So if I'm being in step with the Spirit, it's live, it's active, and I can't go on yesterday's version. It's live. Walk with the Spirit. Cool, you walked yesterday? That's sweet. Walk again today. But I'm just going to do the same thing I did yesterday. Well, that's not walking with the Spirit. That's walking with the memory of the Spirit. Yesterday he did this to me. It was awesome. So I'm going to go for that again and again and again. Hey, well, so don't go for the memory of what God's done. Go for what he's doing right now. This is how you overcome the flesh is that you walk with him. You walk with him. You overcome sin by walking with the spirit. Remember what I said is that we are driven by vision. We don't stop sinning by trying not to sin. We submit to God, resist the devil, and he flees from us. It's the image of God, it's the submission to God that causes victory over sin, that causes victory over the enemy. So in all of this, you've got a, a tremendous amount of volume coming your way on what to do, what not to do, what society thinks you should be, what your job thinks you should be, and you can mute all the white noise and you could focus in on this simple thing. God is love. I'm becoming the fullness of that love. And how is he leading me today? How is he leading me today? What does it look like? What does that spirit walk look like? And talk about an ethereal concept. If I tell you to walk with the spirit today, that might be like, dude, that sounds wild. Do I roll my eyes in the back of my head to conjure up spirit connection? Do I put my hands like this? Like, you might have a lot of questions on what it means to connect to the spirit. You might mean, does that mean I, mean I need to call Tim every single day and be like, Tim, where's the spirit today? I can't find him. I haven't found him in a week. Where am I at? What am I doing? 
right? And so you might have a lot of questions about what this looks like, and, and we can help. I promise you we can help, but it's, it looks like this. There's a reason it's called faith. There's a reason it's called faith. So you might be very insecure in your connection to God, in your connection to the Holy Spirit, but I encourage you to be really just honest with God. Here's what's great about God is that if you don't know how to do it all, that's okay. Talk to him. Tell God, hey, God, I don't even know. I don't even know what this looks like. I don't know how to do it. All of the versions in my head are some weird cinematic theatrical version. So I don't even actually know what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. So I need your help. That's a great prayer right there. That's a great conversation. What is that? God gives grace to the humble. That's a prayer that's humble, that doesn't know what it's doing, that doesn't know where it's going, but God's going to help you. Even if you just put that request out, like, God, I need help. I need guides. I need instructors. I need teachers. I need people that can point me in the right direction. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice, is what Jesus says. So there will become a point where you begin to recognize his voice, and you're like, okay, cool. I know what I'm doing a little bit more. And there will come a point where somebody will tell you, oh, that's not the voice of Jesus. That's actually the voice of your own flesh. That's your inner dialogue telling you that you need your flesh needs met. How do we talk through this? What do we do? And then you might actually have some demonic activity in your life. What do you do about that? What do you do about the other voices in your life that are demonic? The devil leading you and tempting you, trying to lead you into death. I knew preaching today I wasn't going to solve everything for you. But what I was trying to do is set up a paradigm that allows you to understand what your focus is. It's the Spirit of God in faith through love, leading you into these places. I promise everything else will make sense. Wisdom will line up as you're on that journey of, of walking with God. Wisdom will become clear. You'll be like, that made no sense to me six months ago. Now I get it. I totally get it. Have you ever had a spiritual cliche? Be so boring and droll and stupid to you, and then two years later you're like, oh, that's what that meant. And I hate that that cliche is so true. I grew up in church. There's been about 50 cliches that I was like, geez, come on, guys. And I'm like, oh, no, it's so true. It's so good. It's so true, and it's so good. Wow. Okay. All right. So my encouragement to you today as we finish this time is to say yes to God and no to everything else. You'll, you'll figure out with God what it all looks like, how it's all established. He'll author beautiful things in you. He'll introduce the right things. He'll confront and uproot the wrong things. And sometimes it's going to feel like it's completely undoing your identity. And I'll say that's good. That's good. God will undo orphan identities to establish son and daughter ones. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.